came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Jason. Hey, Sonia. Happy 2022. Yeah, same to you. Yeah, it is 2022, right? I'm, I keep checking. I don't know what year it is anymore. Um, I've lost track of time. Uh, but Well, yeah. that's not surprising given all of the stuff <laughs> the we went through in 21. Yeah. And 2020. And it's just like, yeah, okay. So 2022. Thanks for confirming that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, season six. Imagine season six. Yeah, it's, it's going to be... Um, going to be a blast it's amazing that we've on we're on to season six in like less than three years right but, um, i know i know seems like a long time ago we started the podcast yeah i feel like we've been doing it for about 50 years like in a good way because 50 years <laughs> not that 50 years <laughs> in the um, nicest so, possible way in the nice is it like dog years you know so every season um is equivalent of 10 years basically in human life this is how we count something um, like that yeah yeah, excellent. I'm glad we now have also new matrix for counting time. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's still like although it's a lot of work, it's one of the most rewarding things that we do. I think. Right? Absolutely, and I've been really looking forward to this season. And I think we discussed it in the end of season five that we are sticking to our kind of new updated. Um, schedule of delivery so we will be releasing every two weeks um, and the episodes might be a little bit longer than half an hour but you know hopefully um, <laughs> that'll be enough to for you for us to keep you entertained um, but we have some really cool content coming up in addition to um, the episodes we've got some live streams planned so a lot of exciting things happening in the season six yeah so like new schedule in the interest of maintaining our sanity and um, trying not to die <laughs> that, that, that's that's quite an ambitious plan isn't it yeah <laughs> anyway shall we get on with the season yeah go on then over the past five seasons we have also always emphasized the importance of amplifying the voices of early career researchers and if you remember in particular in season four it was really great working with darren alexander williams and he brought so many fantastic guests uh, to the podcast, many of whom were um, and are early career researchers. And in this season, we decided to have curators with us again, because the experience with Darren was uh, so amazing. But this time, our collaboration is not with just one early career researcher, but with a whole group of ACRs um, who have been guest editing the special issue of disaster prevention and management called Emerging Voices. So today we're so excited to open the season with the guest editors of this special issue. Um, and so today we have joining us Dr. Efje Hendricks, who's a researcher, lecturer, and program coordinator in disaster resilience in the built environment at the Eindhoven University of Technology, Department of Architecture, Building, and Planning. We also have Dr. Laura Kamok, 
who is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Kassel, section of social ecological interactions in agricultural systems. We also have Femke Mulder, who's a postdoctoral research fellow at Anglia Ruskin University School of Engineering and the Built Environment. And finally, Ricardo Fuente Alba, who is affiliated with, with University of Amsterdam, Department of Human Geography, Planning and International Development. Welcome to all of you. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Okay, so most of you have um, previously contributed to our participation episodes. We really appreciate your um, engagement with the podcast in the past and your contributions to disaster studies. So we're so excited to finally have an opportunity to chat more deeply with all of you. So um, I have a question for everybody here who's, who's a, a guest editor on this special issue. You all work in different areas of disaster research. So why do you research disasters and how did you get interested in this area of scholarship? Yeah, so I'm actually um, rather new to the field of disaster studies myself. I actually have a background at the intersection of forestry and rural livelihood studies and land system research. So, for example, I'm really used to doing research on the changing land use practices of smallholders, their access to um, natural resources, or, you know, the kind of trees um, they use and the kind of forests that play a role in their livelihoods. And that's the kind of topics um, I first started out looking at when I did my PhD studies in the uplands of Myanmar. But um, during my time there, I was working together with a civil society organization from Myanmar, and they in turn were working with um, farming communities who had been affected by a cyclone Komen in 2015, both through um, widespread flooding and also through landslides. And so when the opportunity arose sort of halfway in my PhD project to apply for a small grant that was aimed at documenting um, sort of NGO approaches to work um, with agroecology practices, I was collaborating with its civil society organization who were working with farmers who had, effect, had been affected by the cyclone to try and sort of document their work and draw out lessons learned from their experiences in helping communities um, and supporting them in recovering from the disasters that had unfolded after the cyclone and to strengthen their resilience in the future. So my entry point into the field of disaster studies wasn't really because I was interested in disasters in the first place, but more because I was interested in farming communities. And then it turned out that their livelihoods were very much affected and shaped by a disaster that had taken place and by that cyclone. So that's how I came sort of from the field of agriculture and livelihoods research into disaster studies. And then at this, um, the winter school where we all met, that was really meant as a kind of a crash course in the literature in the field of disaster studies for me. But then it turned out to be a much longer engagement now through the special issue that we work on together. Thanks, Laura. That's, uh, that's a really uh, unique entry point and um, great to hear about how you got in disaster studies. FG? Well, thank you. Yes, so I come from the field of architecture and building technologies, so a different field. And at some point, I started in a graduation studio exploring beautiful luxury bathing houses in Budapest. And uh, yeah, I stopped and I made a choice that really changed my life. I worked in, uh, in slums in Argentina on the reintegration of uh, urban areas. Um, and I felt I could do more meaningful work with my knowledge than just working in a regular architecture office. 
So since that point, they seek to improve the, the living conditions of vulnerable groups. Uh, since uh, during my master thesis, I studied uh, disaster reconstruction in uh, Haiti, and I designed there like a modular growing shelter that uh, could be used also to share essential construction techniques. So directly after my studies, I co-designed and constructed a hurricane resistant school in Nicaragua back in 2013 with a Dutch NGO. And there I really observed the great value of construction knowledge, the knowledge I have, and also appropriate communication. So the role of communication uh, and construction knowledge has really ever triggered me slip. And um, yeah, I was really passionate about both supporting individual learning pathways of students, but also developing uh, effective technical communication. So I combined that in my job um, doing research and lecturing at the, at the university. Um, and I also worked there at a European project called Speed Kids, where we collaborated with humanitarian organizations and also producers of emergency shelters. So there I also worked um, and we tested uh, shelter prototypes and we developed them and monitored them in, in a post-flood area in Senegal in collaboration with the Red Cross. Um, and I discovered there's quite some funding in humanitarian assistance, but we don't really know what works. So that has triggered me, like how can we discover what is really essential aid? Um, and addressing that challenge, I'm uh, interested in to look at the majority of people that we do not normally reach with assistance. So people that self-recover after disasters and learning from people that recover without assistance can really help us make aid more effective. So I addressed that challenge in my PhD studies as well, uh, looking at post-disaster reconstruction in the Philippines after Typhoon Haiyan in 2013, and also in Nepal after the 2015 earthquake. Thanks, FG. I think we have very similar like backgrounds and pathways um, into this field. And um, yeah, it's exciting what you're working on. So thanks for that intro. Um, Ricardo, how about your background? Yeah, well, in my case, um, coming from Chile, I, I'm, I'm, I think hazards are part of our everyday lives. Like we're known for the constant earthquakes and tremors, of course, but we also have to deal constantly with volcano eruptions and floods, landslides and droughts. Uh, but personally, I arrived to studying disaster relatively later. Like I have a background in sociology and human geography and have always developed a central interest in issues of inequality and space. And um, initially, I was interested in economic development issues, particularly at the rural and territorial level. But when I was involved in a project uh, back in 2014 on the, on the territorial development of one coastal city of Chile, and uh, it's called Constitución, I realized the centrality of one disaster for the local economy. This disaster was the earthquake and tsunami that occurred on, uh, on the 27th of February in 2010, so 27F. And the thing is that we, we all have internalized sharing stories about the 27F, like where, where were you on that day and so on. But this was actually the first time when I started to think about earthquakes and disasters more in a more systematic and profound way. And after that, I developed a research proposal on urban disaster governance and inequality for my PhD, which I ended up doing in the Netherlands at the University of Amsterdam. And uh, I wasn't really coming from the field of disasters per se, uh, more from urban geography and political ecology. So um, I always kept like my critical hat 
when I started reading about disasters academically, uh, I always understood like the, uh, the questions of power and governmental decisions regarding how risks are unevenly distributed. And uh, like going back to the case of Chile, like um, we are, we all have internalized earthquakes and tremors, but I know that an earthquake can be like an inconvenience for some people, but a full catastrophe for others. And uh, I've always understood disasters as something that, that is part of society. It's not something uh, that is outside, but it's, uh, it, it's, uh, those are events and processes that are actually reflect on the profound inequalities of Chile and for any society in general. Thanks, Ricardo. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of disaster researchers will um, have a, a similar path kind of path as you as as their interests and experience being um generated by personal experience of a hazard event you know or a disaster event so thanks for that and finally um Femke. yeah so i i became interested in disasters um over 15 years ago when i worked in the um global ngo sector um particularly i was working on um global hiv aids um, the pandemic, and I was coordinating programs um, in Africa, Asia, and Europe. And the, the point was to support local NGOs and local disaster-affected people um, with their own HIV-AIDS response and mitigation efforts. Um, and what really stood out to me was that people played an absolutely vital role um, in mitigation and response efforts, that they were um, excluded from um, mainstream um, disaster approaches, but also uh, excluded from um, information and, and um, knowledge um, products. So I'm I'm talking about um, the peer facilitators, um, the uh, men who have sex with men, injecting drug users, commercial sex workers who did absolutely vital work during the HIV/AIDS pandemic, but who would be excluded, who wouldn't be platformed, who wouldn't be given a voice, even though their knowledge was absolutely vital. Um, and it's it's because of things like you know homophobia and the stigma attached to drug use or commercial sex work that their absolutely vital first-hand knowledge and experience and learning was not recorded or shared. And I'm, I'm talking 15 years ago. Um, and as a result, you know the the response to the HIV/AIDS pandemic um, just was not as effective or helpful for those communities as um, as it could have been. And that is an understatement. So that's that's really how I became interested in. Um, inclusion, participation in, in disaster studies, particularly um, in, the, in the field of um, knowledge management, which is what I'm doing my PhD about. I'm not actually doing my PhD on HIV AIDS. I'm looking at the response to the 2015 earthquakes in Nepal um, and the response to the ongoing droughts uh, and intercommunal violence in Ethiopia. Um, but, but the principles are the same. That's, um, you know, people who absolutely are central to um, to mitigation and response efforts that, you know, that their voices are so often excluded from knowledge management um, processes. So what I look at are things like, you know, who benefits from disaster knowledge management processes and who does not, whose potential to contribute to those, um, to, to disaster knowledge management is recognized and whose potential is not recognized, um, who gets to speak, who is spoken for, who is left out. Um, in disaster data information products. Um, but, but the origins, the reason I became interested is, is my background in HIV AIDS 15 years ago.
I love listening to people's stories, you know, how they came to disaster studies. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know, Jason and I keep kind of joking about um, perhaps writing a book um, of different, capturing the stories of different disaster scholars and their personal stories of disasters. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's, it's a good idea. We really should do it because so many, there are so many amazing stories. Anyway, you all come from pretty different disciplinary backgrounds and perspectives. And yet, um, this special issue that we are going to talk about today and that we will be reflecting on for the rest of the season is something that you've put together. And it's just so amazing and inspiring to see you all working together um, and really trying to challenge the disciplinary um, kind of boundaries, right? Disciplinary walls that we really see quite a lot. And so let's let's talk a little bit about the emerging voices and pathways to inclusive disaster studies special issue that you've been guest editing for the Disaster Prevention and Management Journal. And of course, we will put the link uh, in the show notes. And for those of you who cannot access the papers, um, I'm sure if you email authors, they will be willing to share PDFs. Uh, we are always, <laughs> all academics are always willing to share PDFs of their papers. The idea for the special issue came during the 2019 PhD Winter School on Global Disaster Studies at the Copenhagen Center for Disaster Research. And you then opened the calls to early career researchers from around the world for the contribution to the special issue. And of course, it isn't just kind of any special issue. Not only was it in the spirit of the Disaster Studies Manifesto, and I'm sure the listeners have heard about Disaster Studies Manifesto before. We talked about it quite a lot with JC Gaia and others um, on this podcast in pretty much every season. I think it was a, it has been every season. And but the format that you've chosen for your special issue is also really, really innovative. And so the contributions are much shorter. And you have provided mentors for all the authors. So for you, why was it so important to engage with early career researchers? And what did you hope to achieve with this special issue? And I'll start with you, Eke. Well, thank you very much. Well, we all, I think, experienced in our own fields a lack of inclusivity when we were doing research. And we felt it's a very important topic that we really want to change. So we don't just want to collect a lot of data and then uh, take it back to our university and do nothing with it. We, we felt there's a real big need to rethink the way we do research. So uh, we sort of hope to achieve a roadmap of fundamental change inside the organizations and the way we do research towards more inclusive uh, practices. So we believe we can only do so by listening to early career researchers that not, are just not yet fully embedded in the disaster research system. Some, some people's some people with still uh, yeah, a clear view on what should be done or what should be changed. Mm, thank you for this. Um, Laura, what about you? Yeah, so just to elaborate a bit, I guess, on what Effie said, I mean, I think we really saw there's kind of two, you know, main reasons to engage with early career researchers. One of that was just that we all are early career researchers ourselves. And we met at that winter school, you know, with a lot of other early career researchers. I guess we were more than 30 people. And during the winter school, there was a lot of conversations and discussions and reflections on what it meant to enter the field of disaster studies, what challenges we faced, and then also very much in particular on that aspect of what does it mean to be an early career researcher, researcher and trying to, 
to sort of push the boundaries of the field and doing more inclusive research at the same time as still having to sort of find your ground or your footing in the field. So I guess one idea with a special issue was just very much to to take the dialogue forward and provide a space for for ourselves and for other people to continue to reflect on and and sort of work and think around those um, questions and issues. And then I guess the second aspect is very much that we thought, I mean, there is something particular that early career researchers can can add to the discussion of how to make the field more inclusive out of their own kind of experience and practice. And that's to do with this fact that we are very much entering a field. Um, you know, we're not really part of the establishment yet. So we're in a space where in a lot of PhD and postdoc projects, we can sort of try out new lenses and new approaches to doing research and new ways of working together. Um, that might not be as easy if you're an established um, researcher. So in that sense, there's um, a lot to learn and a lot to draw out from those experiences, we believed. And then, of course, it's also so that eventually, I guess, we will, we and the other participants of the, of the Cope Winter School and other early career researchers will become the scholars in the field. And hopefully, um, you know, we can take along the good that's already existing, but then also challenge some of the practices that are established now and, um, yeah, change the field through our own experiences and input. Thanks, Efshi. Okay, so for the majority of season six, we're actually going to be talking to authors of some of these special issue papers. Um, and we're really excited about this. And so I want to ask um, you, Femke and Ricardo, about the prominent themes that emerged in the submissions that you received. And um, maybe you could tell us a bit about that. And then to what extent do you feel that the, the new generation of, of disaster researchers are embracing the spirit of the manifesto and um, contributing to disaster scholarship in a, in a much more reciprocal way with the communities that they're working with? As, as early career researchers, we actually think authors share a similar trajectory than what we were describing earlier. So many come from the global south, uh, many are studying their own disasters and their own geographies. And we have witnessed uh, the motivation of early career researchers participating in the special issue, like uh, being very engaged in the experimental initiatives that we have tried to push for. Uh, it was very nice because we met some of them at the NEETS conference back in September. We had a very nice and interesting discussion with them. And uh, we have seen that motivation in the authors, uh, which we think shows like a particular mindset from early career researchers in the field, uh, like trying to do something different, but understanding that sometimes it is hard to do so. And in our position as guest editors, we also recognize some some uh, tension, some politics uh, that, uh, that uh, associates to our position because we are, uh, we work as gatekeepers. We are, there are some, some contradictions in that. So we work within broad, uh, broadly, uh, northern, western frameworks and, and institutions. We're all based in universities in the, in the global north. And we actually understand that we, we have this power to include or exclude some, uh, voices. So we chose who to platform. We, for instance, we rejected abstract uh, because I didn't meet some some standards of uh, how a journal 
uh, article should look like. So, although we try to platform voices and uh, develop new pathways, we still needed to conform to mostly conventional criteria for what counts as a good academic paper. We still think that we have broken some conventions and developed some experimental practices, but it's, uh, I think it's dishonest uh, to say that we face these contradictions as part of the method. So on that on that topic, I just want to give a shout out to the to two groups of wonderful bachelor students um, at the Advanced uh, Technical School in the Netherlands because they've chosen to study inclusive disaster studies as one of their independent study projects and they've actually written fantastic reports on the topic and they've gone through the submissions for this special issue. So um, so so this this um, yeah just a big thank you to them. Um, so the, the prominent themes in the special issue then, um, first of all, um, the early career researchers that um, write for the special issue, they recognize the, the importance of dialogue, the importance of exchanging ideas and working with research participants. Um, and the link, and that's linked to an understanding of the needs of being um, reflexive, um, thinking about your own positionality as a researcher. Um, they don't um, approach science as being um, politically neutral. Um, they very much um, think think about um, ethical questions uh, and what it's what it means to study disaster. So they, they think about their own positionality, their position in the field, their their relationship to the people in the field. They reflect on power dynamics, um, both in terms of north south, but also within the field. Um, they highlight the unique perspective and positionality you can have if you're a member of the group that you are researching um, and that, that gives you the, 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 the perspective to challenge status quo um, narratives because of your unique lens on it. There's also um, authors who reflect on their own framing, their own bias um, during research and how they've changed that, how they've um, tried to approach research um, from, a, from a moving from a Western to an indigenous a feminist framework, for example, um, absolutely central to these reflections are discussions about what it means to be local or not local and the challenges that are linked to that. Um, so it's, it's very much about the debates of insider researchers versus outsider researchers, local researchers versus external researchers, um, and challenging those constructs. You know, what does it mean to be local? Um, there's a plurality of locals. Um, how do local and global interconnect? And how do you position yourself as a researcher versus those multiple locals? And how do you build long-term collaborative relationships with these multiple local realities um, on the ground? There's also discussions about unique challenges and opportunities that you face if you are um, a local researcher. Um, one fantastic um, paper discusses the, the how you develop, which is something they've done, develop a, a group um, of academics to support each other and, and holding each other to account when it comes to doing inclusive participatory research. Um, and it's, it's about how do you connect with other researchers in the field and, and get that sort of working relationship going so you're not isolated trying to do that on your own 
by yourself. Obviously, um, a key theme um, is is researching um, in terms of who is involved in the research, and um, you know, it's about creative methodologies, about emancipatory engagement with research participants. So, there's some fantastic papers um, that use co-research where people are co-researching with research participants. There's methodologies like participatory mapping, but then there's also reflections around how um, the global um, academic system affects people's ability to do that kind of research. So restrictions that come from time, that come from funding, how that affects who is and who is not included um, in uh, research. And then, as I mentioned, some early career researchers uh, have used um, Northern Western frameworks uh, and ontologies um, to actually do their research. Um, so they, they have radical theoretical entry points and conceptual lenses. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely a fantastic collection of papers. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. I, you know, we've been kind of privileged and really lucky to have a sneak peek, a preview, so to say, of the papers. And I really cannot wait for the special issue to come out. It particularly excites me that really until now, we've been talking a lot about um, disaster research and what it is we research, but not how we do research. And it's great to see that early, so many early career researchers are engaging in these conversations. And I think really pushing boundaries because we haven't really seen much change. We haven't seen much kind of push um, in disaster scholarship, I'd say, since probably 1970s. Um, and so, you know, the, the future of disaster study is great if these are the conversations that are happening now among you and your peers. So, yeah, fantastic. And on this, um, I have quite, quite a big question to all of you. What inspires you? In, in disaster research and disaster scholarship? And what do you think needs challenging for disaster studies to become better, you know, for choice of a better word, to become more reciprocal and more respectful? I think one thing that really inspired me getting to know the field was really this, um, you know, that many people with really varied backgrounds and from really different fields come together in um, doing disaster research and that they do very um, practice-oriented research, which is something, you know, I aspire to very much to do myself. And then also I think that the field has in common with other communities of research and practice that I know, like from the land system science and the sustainability science community. But then um, reflecting on how you sort of frame the question by saying um, disaster studies hasn't changed so much to me, it's actually interesting, I think, because when I got to know the field, my impression was that maybe the field is further in that conversation about how the research we do and how we do our research is very much political and how something um, might have to change to make the field more inclusive, which mm -hmm. is something that I feel is, um, you know, it's a conversation in those other communities I'm linked to as well, but I think it hasn't come as far. Mm. And that might also have to do, of course, with the people I, I met when I first um, got into the field of disaster studies, which might not represent the entire field. But to me, that's been really inspiring to think there's some, you know, there's some people further in that conversation and to think about how different fields of scholarship there can also really learn from one another and push one another to, to change their practices and to improve the way we do research and how we work with one another. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. Effie, could I go to you next? Yeah, I fully agree with Laura. I think what I feel is that more and more people want to address that question about the need for inclusivity in disaster studies. And I feel that we are not alone and I feel that, that we are not the only one calling for change. So there are many uh, original studies that can, can inspire actually others to, to do disaster studies in a different way. So the how is really being addressed. And I feel that, it's, that we are part of a movement that really inspires me. Also to see other, other people jumping in and joining us in this uh, quest. So just to give an example, like during the PT school at Scope, uh, that we all attended, we were, I was really inspired by Professor Maureen Fordham, um, who was telling about her research approach, where she actually said, okay, you know, to the donor organization, I don't know what we will do, and I also don't know what will come out of this whole study. And I, I thought, like, how can you call, ask for money uh, saying that, you know, like, but it actually makes so much sense if you look at your specificity. Um, yeah, you should not decide what should come out, and you should also maybe not decide how you will do the studies. You have to decide it with your team, especially with the local team, the people that really know the context. So um, I, th I think there are many different novel approaches that we can really learn from. And I think, indeed, like Laura says, disaster science is really already taking quite some steps, and maybe we are maybe even a little bit more advanced in that quest because we feel uh, how important it is to to contribute to reduce disaster risk. So um, a challenge that I think still remains is also to, to take um, the donor organizations on board in uh, yeah, and showing them the advantages as well as of different approaches that are more interesting. Yeah, th thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much again. Uh, Ricardo, you're next. Uh, thanks for the question, Sania. So uh, uh, this whole process has been extremely inspiring personally. So I, I want to thank the authors of the special issue that we have uh, been engaging for for many, many months now. Uh, it has been a joy to follow the work of so many peers, uh, like uh, early career researcher peers, uh, especially those with less opportunities to participate in this kind of uh, initiative and those that are bringing more critical voices. Uh, and in that, in that sense, I'm inspired by the, the amount of people standing up to the things that are wrong in the world in social, political, and environmental terms. So, for instance, as part of the ongoing climate emergency, uh, many people are going, uh, are participating in marches and protests and marching, but, uh, engaging with uh, transforming their environments. You see, like, engaged activists claiming things like system change, not climate change, uh, respect existence or expect resistance, or this idea of uh, Chico Mendes, or that environmentalism without without class struggle is gardening. And, and, and that uh, I think the latter, that quote, uh, fully applies to disaster studies. So if you don't consider the deeply social and political character of disaster events and processes, nothing will change. We need more discussions on disaster injustice, or who is making decisions and why, who benefits, and hopefully rather than um, creating disaster risk reduction initiatives, we can move towards stopping disaster risk creation. Yes, um, I absolutely agree. As you know, you know, we could talk about this for hours, and I, I really hope that we will be able to unpack this further um, in our season. Um, Femke, last but not least. Um, thank you. I just wanted to say I completely agree with um, 
with Laura Aichi and Ricardo have said. And I think what I really like about studying this artist is that it is a lens that reveals all structural weaknesses in a society, like all the problems and inequalities that exist, but provided you're actually willing to look and listen and to people with first-hand experience and relevant knowledge of that. And I think that the manifesto really outlines what needs to change in disaster studies for that to happen. Um, what I'm happy about is, is about how much support it enjoys. Um, and the articles by the early career researchers in the special issue on this topic, um, we had absolutely loads of fantastic abstracts, um, but we had to choose. I mean, it's, but the interest in the topic was absolutely amazing. Um, and it's, it's just absolutely fantastic to see how many early career researchers um, are passionate about these issues. It's, it strikes me that um, the authors of these uh, articles in the special issue and you all as special editors trying to curate this content have gone further and actually put the manifesto and the accord into practice and, and started to interrogate what that looks like and, and maybe even going further than what has been proposed in the manifesto. And I think that's pretty amazing to look at and see how this um, is taken up by early career researchers and adapted into their different specific topic areas. So really appreciate that. And thank you all for, for sharing and collaborating with us on this season. We're so excited to release the content in the coming months. Um, so thank you all for being with us today and helping us to launch this season of our podcast. Thanks for the invitation, Jason. This has been a joy. It's really nice to reach such a nice, uh, large audience through your podcast, and I hope we, yeah, we can have more people join uh, thinking about the inclusive disaster studies. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having us and giving us the chance to talk about what we had in mind when we first um, started out this special issue. And thank you very much for letting us contribute to your fantastic podcast. It's an honor. Thank you all so much. And thank you again for contributing actually throughout pretty much all of the seasons because we've had um, you all giving us different clips and your thoughts for the participatory um, audience episodes. So now, you know, it is a perfect moment, therefore, to announce our next uh, audience episode. And in this season, since we are talking to early career researchers um, and we are discussing um, the experiences of early career researchers. Um, this is what our audience participation episode is going to be about. And we have two questions, but these two questions are for two different audiences. The first question is for senior researchers. So if you consider yourself senior researcher, um, what is important to you as you engage with early career researchers? And the second question is for early career researchers. And what we want to know from you is what inspires you as early career researcher? And what do you think needs challenging in disaster studies? We're really looking forward to your contributions. And of course, we'll tweet the questions. And then Jason and I will discuss this further um, in our audience participation episode. Thank you all.
Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. You've been listening to Xenia, Jason and us, Ben Knolder, Echia Henrik, Laura Knoch, Ricardo Fuentealba, on Disasters Deconstructed.